Real men arising to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. My name is Karuna Avatar. This is Arise, the Honest Man's podcast. With me is Jai Jagannath, Bhaiturun, and Hari Vilas. And uh, once again, we are very, very happy to be here for yet another meaningful conversation. What is it that we are engaging with today, <clears throat> Jai Jagannath Prabhu? Well, we've titled it Technology and the Self-Alienation of Man, which sounds pretty cool. Um, the idea here is to, we want to discuss how technology may, or in fact is alienating our man, humanity, but man from others, from himself, and ultimately from the ground of being God. That is the general trajectory of the conversation. And I was inspired to do this conversation this week as a follow-up to our conversation last week. So our conversation last week was surrounding the topic, what does it mean to be a man? And in our opening statements, we finally came to the conclusion, after much prying and bewilderment, we finally came to the conclusion, Harvey Lass specifically kicked this off, that fundamentally, like on the most basic level, to be a man means you have the male physical body. And to be a woman means you have the woman physical body. But, but the way he articulated it was very funny. Like the example he gave for that, which I thought was a little crude and made me laugh, but I also thought was really good, is that when a man and woman have sex, the one that gets pregnant is a woman. <laughs> and the one who doesn't is a man. And that seems a little bit crude, like prima facie, but it's a very good, huh? It is true though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not only is it true, but when you look at the old world and like scriptures from the old world, like the ones that we follow or in the East or the ones in the West, that seems to be one of the basic fundamental understandings of man and woman that they're working with, that when there's sexual intercourse particularly, then the one that gets pregnant is the woman, the one who doesn't is the man. And that will also determine the trajectory of social contracts, obviously, because the one who gets pregnant is taking out of the, you know, out of the field of work, for example, to rear the child and the man has to fill in the space like that. The social contracts, there's a sort of congruence between the social contracts and that fundamental understanding of man and woman. And then Harvey Lass last week said this, and this is what inspired me for this topic today, technology changes that. And he went on to describe it a little bit, but I thought we might flesh this out a little bit more, how technology changes that and specifically changes how men and women view themselves and thus necessarily and congruence with that changed the way that the social contracts are formed and made and moving forward. So I thought that was a really fascinating idea that would be worth exploring. So I guess the first question in unpacking this idea is, <clears throat> is technology a bane or boom? I know you've probably seen way too many presentations in spiritual communities about this. And the general, the general message, as far as I've seen a few of them, is it's neither good or bad, it's how you use it which seems you know, a little bit simplistic, but that's usually the message. You know, It's like a knife, a knife is neither good or bad, it's just how you use it. So similarly technology is, but um, in the blurb that we use for this topic today, the message, I don't know who wrote it, but the message was like, use the word like venom, 
So it's kind of comparing technology to venom or comparing it to a thorn. And just as you remove one thorn with another thorn, or you remove venom by also applying venom in a medicinal way. So technology is a thorn, it is a venom that can be used to help remove the problem. But ultimately it's like negative in that sense, which I think is closer to my own sentiment about it. And so my first question is very simple. From your understanding, from your own rumination and also maybe your own subjective experience, is technology a bane or boon and specifically in terms of how it's transformed the way you maybe think or see yourself as a, as a man. It doesn't have to be a very scholarly understanding, just sort of more intuitive or from your own ruminations. And before you answer that, so that's the question. And before you answer that, I just wanted to give my own quick reflections because I tend to not give them when I ask the questions. But this is just following from what I heard from Harvey Lust. I'm kind of leaning hard towards technology is pretty negative and it has a very adverse negative impact on humanity in general and on men in specifically. And the way that I, I kind of have a trajectory in my thinking, the, the first is that it sort of creates this false, or let me say artificial, maybe a better word than false, this sort of artificial equality. Huh? And let's just take a simple technology like birth control working off of that fundamental basis of what it means to be a man and woman. Birth control creates a sort of artificial equality. Now you can have sex and no one gets pregnant. And so with that, the, what follows is sort of a divorcing of the pleasure principle from values. Because previously, or from responsibility, if you have to have sex, especially in the heterosexual relationship specifically, there's chance of having a child which means that in the back of your head, the pleasure principle can never truly be divorced from the responsibility principle, um, unless you're just like a jerk. And that's another sort of topic for the future, toxic masculinity and all that. So you have now technology equaling the playing field, no one gets pregnant. So the pleasure principle becomes divorced from the responsibility principle, which means that now you can be totally self-centered without having to think about your responsibility to others. And then that changes the way the social contracts kind of work. Specifically for a society, social contract will be really concerned about you having children. Because in order for you to continue your society, there has to be, basically has to be children. So they're invested in successful relationships so that they will give children that can help keep their society functioning. At least two for you know, maintaining the population and more than two if you want to do a little bit more for the, the society. So that all gets completely wiped out because of a simple technology like um, birth control, for example, or even further along abortion. And then I kind of have as my final point here, if the technology keeps moving at the rate that it has been moving, it seems to be outpacing our socialization mechanisms for dealing with it in a moral way. And so, especially looking at the generation of young men, and I can speak about this from a personal experience, it's outpaced our ability to socialize it morally. And so the moral, yeah, the moral engagement with technology is you know, not really to be seen. Even the way that we talk to each other on social media, for example, when we're upset and so on, it's just something mm -hmm. very, it's outpacing our ability to morally socialize it anyway. So there's actually that, uh, there's moving and it seems that tech is negative. So that's my thing. Sorry. Yeah. Right, right. Right. No, no, no. I just want to add like exactly on that point. Ram Kishore just said um, 
the boon of it is that it always allows me to have devotee association across the world. Um, globally, I would agree it is a bane because people say things they would never say to your face. Right. So, and the, the boon part, yeah, well, anyway, so let's hear, I'm going to hear your thoughts. Bane or boon, I'm leaning more towards, there are obviously pros and cons to tech, like there's pros and cons to anything. I'm talking about overall, if you had to give the edge to one of them, do you give the edge to a Bane or do you give the edge to a Boone? And I'm, I gave my little logic here for why I'm leaning towards is probably a Boone. It's like really venom. And unless we learn how to engage with it in a healthy way, we're going to lose our own selves in the technology. And, and therefore, overall, it's a Bane. But I want to hear your thoughts. Again, the question in Bane or Boone and particularly how it impacts you intuitively or from your own study as a man that's my opening question sorry for speaking a lot but i really wanted to flesh that out to get get you know the uh, full context here hey bro it's your show <laughs> <laughs> it's our it's our show <laughs> all right can we put harvey loss on the spot yeah let's put harvey loss because this was inspired largely by your own comment last week so i, I was really keen to hear your thoughts on this well Firstly, technology has always existed. Uh, there can be no humanity without technology because human society always inevitably transforms its environment wherever you let humans go. So I would say it's more a question of, there's this one interesting author, Ivan Illich, and um, he spoke, he wrote a lot about modern society, is very critical, but he also spoke about technology and he called something, he had this term called convivial technology, meaning that technology that we understand what will be the long-term consequences mm. and in that way we choose to adopt it or not like for example Prabhupada made the point in the Krishna book how uh, the Brahmanas they knew about electricity but they were like nah it's not worth it you know it's not going to be worth it to go there just to stick with cow dung and you know fire <laughs> and so the, but the point is but there's always been technology growing grain growing food it's all it's all tech you know using a plow so tech has always been there but there's the problem with modern tech um, is that, for example, what happens is, is that certain technological devices that transform the entire playing field. For example, at a certain point, we created cars and it was a novel introduction to human society. But now it is impossible to survive without a car. Same goes for smartphones. So the point is that they basically, as they transform the world, the actual environment becomes, it forces it now onto us. And you can't choose anymore. God, I don't want a phone. I don't, I don't want a cell phone. I don't want a car. I actually... I'm a, I'm a horrible driver and I've already wrecked two cars. So I, I don't really. Me want too, to bro. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but I can but you can't avoid it. So that's the one problem that's being laid out is that technology, as we create these things, it is forced upon us. And then we can't actually get out of it because it, it becomes, you, you have to play the game to, to and able to keep up. And so many people try to clock up, but you can't anymore. So that's a big issue. Mm -hmm. um, the second one to understand is definitely that, yeah, technology is definitely the great equalizer. Um, when we look at the traditional world, it's very interesting. When we look at the traditional world and we see a hierarchical society. It is generally uh, based on class, gender, so many things. We see the strict hierarchies built in the ancient society. And then we think, oh, it was just purely a societal construct. Um, no, it wasn't. It's like it's technology is what dismantled that hierarchy. You know? Like, for example, if you would go back a thousand years into the past, to fight in a war, it's, there's only a few guys who could do that, you know, take a sword and a shield and go to another guy, look him in the eye and try and slash him. Uh, <laughs> but now, if you look at the gun, 
the gun, for example, was what equalized the playing field. Now you can have one guy, you know, you, you put, you send him to boot camp for three months. He doesn't come from any kind of military family. He's just, you know, you take an average guy off the street, you put a gun in his hand. Even in, in, in Africa, they have child soldiers. You have a 12-year-old kid, you put a gun in his hand, and he can, he can kill, he can kill grown-ups. So the technology is the, it's, it's, it's the equalizer. It basically, the, it uh, annihilates distinctions between people to a certain extent. Same with gender. Like that's the point they made last time. People are now saying, "Oh yeah, the ancient world is so is so um, hierarchical, differentiated." Yeah, but there wasn't technology. So I mean, or the kind of technology we have today. So it meant the, the differences between the sexes was vast. It was vast, vast practical implications, and therefore they dealt with, dealt with it differently. So. Um, so yeah, tech is then, it's a fact. It is, uh, it is leveling the playing field, the distinction between people become less. And also now, for example, even how intelligent you are, it's like, uh, it's very interesting. One thing oftentimes mentioned is, is the problem with technology just now is that um, it is also creating a new kind of uh, elite in terms of the people, uh, the technocracy, the people who know how to use this technology. And now we see, for example, that how much of our, um, information and our privacy and stuff is all in the hands of people that are not, they have no moral qualification, but they're merely the guys who are creating the, who are in charge of the tech. So it's, mm -hmm. again, again, a new hierarchy will arise, but it's definitely not biological. And I predict, as you said, also the future is that I see um, urban society will become more and more androgynous to a certain extent because uh, the traditional masculine virtues like physical strength and these kind of things becomes more and more irrelevant in a technological society. And we will even see, it's very interesting to see how the genders will adapt to this reality and will become sort of what really makes the difference. Everybody's on birth control. And, <laughs> you know, it's like you don't really need physical strength on the computer and your head will just grow very big. And you know, it doesn't really matter. Your identity will become more irrelevant. So I don't know what you say about that. It sounds like a brain to me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was reminded of a few things, but the last point I'm reminded of a Sylvester Stallone movie. I forget the name of the movie, but he gets like frozen in some thing for like, I don't know, a thousand years. And then he comes out of it in the future. And at one point, the love interest in the movie, he's trying to, he wants to have sex with her basically. And she's like, she's ready. Let's do this. And then she gives him a virtual, like a VR set to put on. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, you know, having sex through the VR set. <laughs> then he like takes it off. Is like, what the F is this? You know, you're just quite bewildered. So anyway, just some scar coming up sitting here in that point. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. So moving away from the biological mm. uh, towards some kind of virtual reality. And uh, yeah, whether that's good or bad. It's so you're leaning more towards bang too. Well, I'm just leaning up to the point that it's inevitable. Like, right. I think it's ultimately it's due to consciousness that is entering too deeply into the world. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like it's that human intelligence that is uh, very interesting. How, at a certain point, this is uh, Oswald Spinner we wrote about how, if you look at uh, traditional Western society, which is where this whole technological society comes from, basically at a certain point in the modern era, then. Uh, you had all these monks in the monasteries and they, for, for, I mean, for a long time, they were cultivating God consciousness and society was very simple. Like we see in India, people, people purposefully kept society simple. Like you purposefully don't complicate things, you know? Mm. And then what happened is in Western society, there was just this shift where the intelligence, and this is the early scientists, mostly monks, like 
Gregor Mendel, all these people, they were all these geneticists, physicists, they were all, many of them were monks, most of them were religious people. But they started to turn that human intelligence that was previously uh, absorbed in theology, they pushed mm. it into, into understanding matter. Mm. And he calls, it this, um, he calls them the Vikings of the intellect. So these individuals, it's very violent, it's a violent energy where they started to try to, but by the intelligence, try to control matter. And the whole society that we have is the result of that kind of orientation towards the world. Who is it? Roger Bacon says, we have to torture Mother Nature for her secrets. You know, that was the basic understanding because all these things, all these wonderful things we can do now, it's actually a very violent energy that is going into trying to change the actual material reality. Whereas the general sattvic principle, uh, the principle of simple living high thinking, is that you understand that the world is already designed in a certain way. Let me adjust to how the world is already designed, rather me trying to change the design. And that basic orientation is the difference between the mode of goodness and the mode of passion. And we see so different societies are in different modes of nature. Amazing. Yeah, so Drop technology is, yeah, right? <laughs> technology has always <laughs> been there. Um, but looking at long-term effect, you have to make a decision about whether or not to use it. If consciousness enters too deep into matter, then their, their direction of technology will be destructive because it will be a profound imposition on the whole playing field mm. and causing a, anyway, equalizing a total equalization of all hierarchies and really amazing points. So because our consciousness have entered largely into matter, it's looking not so positive, the direction that it's going. All right, Abai, or Karuna, you got some I, thoughts on this question? I do, but I want to hear from Abai first. However, <laughs> last few points were so clearly articulated and, and thoughtful. I'll, I'll just follow up briefly with a couple of things. I think that um, there's maybe some distinctions to draw. Is technology is basically, like however, last was mentioning, it's, it's like a human-driven... Um, design thinking approach to modifying the environment in some way um, or, or to creating new capabilities that now become available to the self and to the society at large. And that itself as a practice may be faulty in some ways, as Harry Velas was just mentioning, is that the more sadhik approach is not to use the intelligence in an attempt to modify the environment that much of course, there are exceptions to that. There may be cases in which it is prudent to modify the environment slightly, whether that's for you know creating some kind of um, village and you know the modifying the environment and the land, et cetera, to be able to support that village. That is not necessarily being discouraged, but primarily the utilization of of conscious energy of on the part of the individual and on the part of the society was not primarily used for modifying the environment. And that is, is based upon a, I think, deeper level of insight, which is what is the fundamental purpose of existence? And I think gets down to this, where the fundamental purpose of, ex of existence in a Vedic society or in a godly society is self-realization or God-realization. And therefore, the orientation of society and the orientation of the individual is how to best enable the attainment of that goal. And... Therefore, the modification of the environment through technology is not that important in, in, order, in order to attain that goal. It is somewhat important, but the primary <laughs> utilization of intelligence should be for introspection, 
should be for the application of the principles of bhakti and for the understanding of the philosophy of bhakti that enables one to wholeheartedly invest themselves in that process. And naturally, by being absorbed in uh, godly topics or godly behavior, the intelligence is satisfied. I think we've all had this experience mm. that the f- not only the intelligence, but the senses, the mind, the intelligence, the self is satisfied by engaging in spiritual activities and by becoming connected to, to God. And so therefore, the kind of underlying drive to, to use the intelligence in some way that is creating some change in the environment is not so much present because one is satisfied internally by their absorption in Krishna. Uh, and all of their faculties are satisfied, not just at the soul level, but from the soul, then all of the, uh, you could say, higher levels of existence into ego, intelligence, <clears throat> mind, senses, etc., are all satisfied by that, absor- by that absorption. And so when the, mm. the fundamental purpose of existence is changed from self-realization or God-realization to basically hedonism, then naturally then how the intelligence is applied is in pursuit of hedonistic pleasure which naturally leads to all the different the emergence of all of the kinds of technologies that we've seen emerge over the last you know several hundred or thousand years and that we've seen emerge over the last 50 years they are all essentially focused on furthering hedonistic pleasure for the self and for for society mm. and again that that is not necessarily a categorical statement there may be some exceptions to that but on the whole that is kind of the underlying intention and therefore the consideration of whether a technology is successful and is worth rolling out and dispersing to society is basically does it improve sense enjoyment or or uh you know subtle enjoyment and what physical gross or, or subtle enjoyment in one way or another and that is basically the binary criteria for whether the technology should be introduced or should mm. be should be pursued at the front end um, which is a very myopic way as a society to think about and evaluate um, what changes should be made and what technology should be developed and, and implemented. Mm. If that is kind of the primary method of evaluating um, cha- making change to society through technology or through other processes is whether it enables sense enjoyment, gross or, or subtle sense enjoyment, um, then you you end up with all uh, all kinds of unintended side effects in terms of in terms of harms that are created in other domains, um, because and and we know this not only philosophically but practically speaking, just pursuing sense enjoyment is basically a guaranteed path of misery, you know, mm. um, and we all experience this. Even non-spiritual people experience this that they're that just pursuing hedonic pleasure, sense enjoyment is basically a path to like meaningless and meaninglessness, depression and all other kinds of suffering. Um, and so if technology is, is designed primarily with that intention, then it's not surprising that there are all, all kinds of unintended side effects mm-hmm. uh, in terms of even conventional harm to to society in terms of mental health and stability and sense of purpose and drive and all of these kinds of vital forces. Excellent. I, I just shared the quote in the private chat, Bhishma, if you want to like pull it up. But what I was hearing from you is basically the problem comes because of a lack of 
let's say, deep examination of your metaphysics. That's kind of what I was hearing. Because especially if you don't think about it, the metaphysics of a conditioned soul is to go after hedonism. Whereas in the Vedic culture, it was after self-realization, and that's going to determine the direction of the intelligence. This is a quote from Thomas Merton, but it's Thomas Merton writing a, um, how you say, like a glorification of Bhaktivedanta Swami's Gita. And in the course of that, he's making this particular statement, which I really, really, really like. I just wanted to read it. He says here, the present translation and commentary is another manifestation of the permanent living importance of the Gita. Swami Bhaktivedanta brings to the West a solitary reminder that our highly activistic and one-sided culture is faced with a crisis that may end in self-destruction because it lacks the inner depth of an authentic metaphysical consciousness. Without such depth, our moral and political protestations are just so much verbiage. I kind of oh. just, that's a really powerful statement. And I've always resonated with a lot. But I was hearing that a lot from you because we haven't really examined our metaphysics. Like, what is the purpose of life? And so, default is hedonism, basically. And that's going to inform that sort of destructive Viking intelligence towards the environment, which obviously leads to self destruction, other problems. Am I catching that okay? Am I, I'm just giving a, a reflection. Noise, y'all are some smart people. I'm telling you. Like, yeah, I, I was just about to say, Judge Jagannath. <laughs> you know, I think I think we should um, we should maybe reconsider inviting such like absurdly brilliant guests onto our show so that there's actually something left for us to say um, <laughs> instead of just like sitting here with like the crickets in the background. Well, um, I just asked a question, so it's all right. I'm saying no, 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 no. On on the contrary, on the contrary, you know, we we uh, we we deliberate on these topics and we we bring these great souls forward so that everyone can have the advantage of hearing their thoughts so i just i just feel grateful to even just be here um and and hear from these great souls also as a participant now i i just have i just have two like very brief points and what i was going to say was already actually elucidated in in different like way more profound wording than than i could have possibly done it but um there's two, there's two, or, or let me first say this. The Google definition of artificial is something which is made or produced by human beings rather than occurring naturally, especially as a copy of something natural. Now, I think that the, the conception or like the idea of artificiality is uh, something, something really like central to this entire debacle because what we see is, for instance, with the food that we eat, the more processed, the more man-made, the more, yeah, the more processed, the, the worse it, it affects our health. And the closer to nature we stay, the more we eat whole foods and, and, and just kind of like, you know, have just a much more sort of a natural diet, um, the better we, we, we actually do. So, you know, like, I mean, Abai elucidated this completely in saying that, you know, if technology is utilized for, for hedonism, essentially it's a bane. And if it's utilized for self-realization, um, then it's a boon. But I, I still feel that there's something which has not quite been, been touched on. And that is 
we have been the the biological organism of the human being has been um, created in a particular way, and we have a certain biological nature which is which is unchangeable and which is fundamentally subject um, to to either being healthy or being unhealthy. And there are certain things which are fundamentally good for us and bad for us. For instance, we know, we know now very clearly that blue light, which emanates from, from electronic screens, is super bad for us. And it really disturbs our sleeping patterns and that now all, all phones and computers come out with blue light filters standard because that is something which is fundamentally not good for our health. Similarly, you know, the radioactive emanations out of, uh, you know, 5G Wi-Fi towers or, or you know, if you're, if you're sitting next to a modem all the time, you know, for hours and hours a day, that's certainly not going to affect your health very well. So now, you know, that kind of, kind of brings me to the point that we can use these devices for, for self-realization. Ultimately, that's what we're doing right now, right? But still, like me looking at the screen being fixed on these flashes of light and these artificial colors is on a fundamental level, biologically, not that good for me, you know? So, so it, it's kind of like, I guess it kind of then just comes to where each of us is willing to draw the line personally. How far are you willing to go with it? You know, when, when Elon Musk's brain chip comes out, are you going to be part of the camp? Because that's going to be polarizing as hell. Are you going to be part of the camp that's going to be like, yay, smartness overload? Or are you going to be like, nah, you know, I want to grow stuff? Um, in a field and, and be with my people in the village and like sing songs around the campfire. You know, what, what camp are you going to, are you going to choose? Um, so, so it really comes down to this personal choice. And then, you know, however, Lass also very clearly made the point that um, this is inevitable. You know, society is meant to develop in this way. Humanity is meant to develop in this way because just like the biological organism has been created with a certain, um, you know, unchangeable endowment in a certain biological nature, which is affected in certain ways that we can't change. So in the same way, we've also been uh, created with intelligence and the ability to innovate. And so ultimately, everything that is being created right now technologically is, is, is inevitable. So then you can make the argument that perhaps it is actually natural because we have the ability to bring it into being. So therefore, you know, perhaps it is natural and we just kind of have to roll with it. Um, and then my sort of just like a final thing that I just want to bring out is that uh, technology, whether because now, you know, our entire existence is. We we are we are in these various cushioned cages for like for mind and soul cushioned um, cages. and yes. And, and it's, it's, it's just kind of like, you know, it, it just is what it is. Like we are, if you're born in the world of today, you are, unless you're in just like a very unfortunate, impoverished 
condition, let's say you're born into the first world, you're going to be pretty comfortable. You're going to have all of your basic needs taken care of, like it's all going to be there. And then beyond basic needs, um, just the, the opportunities for indulgence that technology provides, it's just so easy, you know? It's just so easy. And th so, so that, that kind of brings us to this point where comfort, excessive comfort, is not good for us. One of my favorite quotes is, is, is um, Bhakti Srantasaraswati Thakur, Srila Prabhupada's guru, who said that comfort is violence to the soul. You know, the more comfortable we are, the more comfortable the body is, the less impetus there is for self-realization. Um, and so therefore we have to voluntarily accept austerity and minimize mm -hmm. this like, inescapable enveloping softness you know that is that is just like overwhelming us from all directions um because also the other thing is that the more comfortable we are the less likely we are to voluntarily take responsibility i mean if you were a hunter gatherer ten thousand years ago like there's no choice man like you got to survive right now like i've never not once in my life had to worry about where my next meal is going to come from. Not, Not once. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. Yes. Well, you know, and here I am like a little, a little gremlin, basically, you know, uh, a little comfort gremlin that, that is like taking, <laughs> taking a hell of a long time to grow up, you know, cause I just, I just <laughs> don't, I just, I don't have to, you know. I don't have to. I got all the cushiness, you know. It's it's really nice. What's I the, really, what's the impetus? I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm just. Yeah. I think we're really we're in sync right now because that was the exact next question I had about the relationship between comfort and the demoralization of potential, um, which technology appears to be. Um, mm facilitating and specifically how that plays out with men. I just want to reflect back some important points that I thought I just heard from you. Just basically looking at the word artificial, you Googled it. It's basically mimicking something that's real. And so it's kind of like one step removed from reality. And then as technology continues to advance itself and its ability to mimic reality, it becomes further removed from reality. And since it's inevitable because it's coming from human intelligence, bringing forth these things and so on, at a certain point, one has to, the real question is, where do you want to draw the line in terms of your engagement with that which is sli slightly removed or profoundly removed from reality? And that's kind of the question that we definitely want to explore in this particular podcast. Like, it's artificial, it's removed how much am I going to engage with that? I have to draw a line. And right now, as children of the millennial age, we don't seem particularly good at that. We don't know because we're the first kind of generation really dealing with this profound bombardment of technology in the way that it's manifest now. So I wanted to get into this. <clears throat> now, I was watching a couple of um, videos and reading some articles about the impact of technology specifically on men. And generally, there seems to be a consensus. I would have to do a lot more research to say that confidently, but there seems to be a general consensus that technology has kind of helped the upward mobility and social expansion of women. But it's had the exact opposite effect for men, where they're actually doing a lot worse because of it. 
apparently so at least taking that for granted and again that that point is itself a sensitive point that would really have to be fleshed out and you would probably need various expert footnotes and all that to really make that point but just taking this and this is more of a subjective question we are the children we are the what did you call comfort gremlins we are the the generation of comfort gremlins with our cushioned cages and the scripture at least especially the bhagavad purana has a very strong message about the relationship between comfort and the destruction of potential and i was um the verse i have several verses in my head but one verse that comes to mind you know it well queen kunti she's praying that may the calamities come again and again because I can remember you and remembering you, I don't longer have to see birth and death. So question comes, well, if calamity isn't a problem for you, what is a problem? Hypothetical question. And then the answer is given in the next verse. With the expansion of wealth, beauty, knowledge, and aristocracy or position comes the expansion of pride. And Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti, one of the pre-modern commentators on this verse, gives one sentence where he basically says, Kunti is saying that comfort is actually the real danger in this world, where you feel kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I have the shelter, I'm good. So my, my question is about that, the relationship between comfort and a demoralization of potential or sort of the innervation of potential and I'm asking this kind of from a maybe I'm asking for your insight, but I'm also asking from a subjective experience to whatever degree. Um, I'll give an example of a subjective experience. When I was in high school, before there were smartphones, I had one of those like Nokia phones. All right. And I could remember literally 50 to 100 numbers off the top of my head, like quite easily. It wasn't very difficult. And come today, I can I can only remember my number. <laughs> and even when it comes to like trying to memorize a number, it's like super duper hard. Now this is just a very simple example of a personal impact of that I may that I feel that I'm experiencing because of more of engagement with technology. So that's just an example. Insights, comfort as destroying our potential to show up not only as man, but just as human beings and maybe a subjective experience of such. Do you agree with that? Do you not agree with that? Insights on that? That's the question. Bro, basically my entire existence is like the embodiment of potential being destroyed by comfort. I am the epitomized personified form of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's like that awkward that's laugh a, like uh <laughs> do we really be laughing at this or not uh, tragic comedy. no no no. it's it's tragic it's just comedy. it's just kind of like you have to you have to experience a certain like extreme uh aspect or like you have to experience one side of the spectrum of duality in order to be able to really understand what it is and to transcend it and then ultimately to overcome. So I do think that even though, you know, even though it is very like suffocating at the same time, it can also be because 
disillusionment is 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 inevitable and therefore it can also actually be a very powerful launch pad so I, I wouldn't have it any other way i'm just saying it's just like everything that you're saying it just makes so much sense you know because i just that's like that's my entire life right now it feels well, one thing is, um disillusion is not inevitable so you have to be careful uh, yeah yeah fair enough but um, but you know like like provided that one is a sufficiently uh, sincere and like discerning person, which which I I hope I am, um, then 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 you know you should be okay. I really hope so. Well, actually, the system. If we see the mechanism that is built into the world, is that um, uh, all opulences are as a result of piety. And they give you facilities, but then if you misuse those facilities, they're taken away. And that's what will happen. You said your comfort and your opportunities will be removed from you if you don't use them properly. So that's, mm. uh, in general, a good kind of motivation to keep you pull your socks up. But um, the one thing to also just understand, this interesting point as you were speaking, um, about this distinction between artificial and natural. One should also a fake distinction because what what is it? What is natural? What is artificial? I mean, ultimately, everything that exists in this world is natural. Show me something that's not natural. It's like you know, something. Mm. It's a Whole Foods. It's a Whole Foods brand. You know, it means that organic, whatever. You know, it's it, this. This is words we flip around. The thing to understand is that the highest form of technology is biological life, and all other forms of technology is actually just attempts to get closer to that. If you think about the human body. It's like the human body is the ultimate machine. There's nothing that can can compete with it. And all other forms of technology, in one sense, is just somehow trying to replicate that, get as close to that as possible. Self-gene, self-generating, regenerating, um, you know, the human eye, that's all the sensory capabilities. It's like the ultimate machine. If you could set, if you could buy a body, imagine if you could sell someone a new body. You can sell, What kind of price tag would you put on that thing? Like, it's, people will pay billions. You, you could, people will pay... People will pay all that they have for a new body if they could just transfer to a younger body like elon musk if at the end of his life if you tell him okay here it is we take all your money and you get you just get a normal human body there's seven billion of them on the planet but it's that you understand the value so the, the highest form of technology because we understand it was ultimately created so mm. similarly this whole world is in one sense again like it's a created reality but the purpose so the distinction between the natural reality and the artificial human-created reality, which is the reality that we have created for ourselves, is that, uh, as Abai was saying, that the, the purpose of it is different. So the natural reality, as it is, it is created for the sake of experience, um, coupled with purification. So therefore, any, for example, if you think about how everything in this world works, there's inherent difficulty built mm. into the system. And that's, that has a purpose. It's meant to protect you, it's meant to purify, it's meant to also give you some impetus. In order mm -hmm. to uh, um, to progress, you 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 know, pain ultimately has a purifying effect. If you see about, for example, learning learning skills in the natural world, it takes time. So you have to learn patience, all these other kinds of things. Um, whereas the think about the human reality, what's so comfortable about video games or whatever is that in one sense you sidestep a lot of these things. You, know, you sidestep mm -hmm. sleeping, eating, pain. Because what's fascinating about the human virtual reality is that. Um, ultimately, the world we are creating for ourselves uh, virtually is uh, just composed of two sensory experiences. It's only sight and sound to a certain extent. I mean, obviously now they're going to expanding into more sensory experiences. But so it's just like a, it's a dull down version of reality, 
And the only reason why we find it more interesting is because it more directly, um, uh, one sense, uh, it accommodates more of our selfish desire. It looks like a reality that gives you more scope because you can create your own little avatar or whatever it is. But the other reality is that to understand that you're already living in an art, you're already living in a, in a reality, you're already playing a game. And the game is way more intense. It's called real life. And there's five, <laughs> five, five, yeah, there's five centuries. There's five. The, the, the experience is way more intense. The stakes are way more higher because yeah. you know you can die <laughs> and you can't reload. <laughs> and, the, and and by playing this game, if you if you actually understand that it is, there's a purpose to the whole thing, and you're supposed to up. And then you understand the purpose is to elevate your consciousness. You know, purify your mind, ex embrace the duties that are given to you. Like that's the that's the understanding. So we just basically because we're opting out, we, we're opting out from real life, and opting for for a dull down, lesser version, but it just is easier. And the, the the better alternative is yeah, to just to, to, to just try to do the real thing, to work with the real system, and to, and you see it's so ironic. You know, we, we neglect yeah to play like to playing computer games or. Virtual relationships, for example, it's all it's all dulled down. It's all like if you have a relationship via text, what is that? It's like you know you have such you just experience a little sliver of that other person just through text. What a waste of time, you know, to text someone, you know, like, <laughs> person. Now, obviously, technology is upping. Where for now, now we can have video chat, so that's amazing. Like technology started with a lesser, you can have a little experience of a person, but now it's slowly coming to the point where we can have a near normal conversation, um, you know, by virtue of video technology, but still it's, it's not, it's not as real. It will never be as satisfying as the actual uh, um, 3d reality experience, as far as mm -hmm. I can understand, maybe at a certain point, but I mean, yeah, we have to also understand that it's not, there are limits to how far technology will go. People will tell you there's unlimited scope for development. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure if one will actually really be able to, to parallel um, actual 3D reality. Because think about it, 3D reality was created by uh, Lord Brahma. <laughs> Versus, you know, I'm saying that like, you know, he's way more powerful than an Intel or Google engineer. It's like you know, <laughs> there is just a, lim a difference of intelligence in terms of how it's structured out. Hmm. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Abai, you have, I have something on that, but Abai. Yeah, a couple of thoughts uh, bumping around in my mind. One, is it, I, the thing that keeps coming back to me is like the fundamental orientation of the self is is the key thing here because even we are, are now just thinking about us four and the people listening. We are greeted, and everyone is, but just thinking about us with the opportunity to engage with kind of base reality as Harivalas is describing, which is life itself, organic life itself. Even that is not purely organic in the sense that just living in the world outside of screens, outside of digital technology, you could call it outside of digital media, is still, you're living in a, in a realm of technology in a lot of ways. So technology is ever present. So that has to be acknowledged. Um, we, we're greeted with that opportunity as well as the opportunity to live in kind of a virtualized experience. And so if, if one's fundamental motivation is what you would call uh, either dharmic or at, at the first level or transcendent, at the, at the second level, dharmic meaning kind of the, the conventional development of the self in the realm of material activity, but still oriented towards uh, the realization of one's potential and, 
and most kind of complete contribution to themselves and to their family and to society in a holistic sense. If one is aligned in that direction, then one will feel more motivated towards engaging with life itself and the challenges and opportunities that are present there in order to pursue that goal of, of, of manifesting one's kind of dharmic potential and ideally then beyond their, their transcendent potential, their spiritual potential. But if one is, is simply oriented towards uh, providing themselves with as much uh, mental and sensual stimulation and, and pleasure as possible, then they will be much more inclined towards technology and towards uh, not only engaging with technology as it exists today, but following the path of technology as it develops, because technology is inherently designed, at least mu much of technology is inherently designed just to better and better stimulate the mind and senses. And so if that is the fundamental motivation, then we will naturally be drawn in that way. And if the fundamental motiva motivation is for, again, dharmic realization, self-realization, uh, then we will be, we will, we will naturally navigate life in such a way that we find the things that are favorable for that, which are more base reality experiences. And I think I'm, I'm, that's the thing that keeps coming back to me. Um, that being said, speaking practically, it's not a, it's not a binary situation. I find myself with a combination of motivations for my existence. Some of them are more, are more noble, dharmic, transcendent spiritual as much as I can possibly uh, kind of conceptualize and some are for sense gratification or mental intellectual stimulation in the material realm in the material sphere and so I find myself honestly battling between the two and therefore battling with more engaging with my life as it is present before me understanding it as arranged by God by Krishna for being suitable for um developing my material and spiritual potential and therefore attending to it with my full attention, my full intelligence and my full kind of emotional capacity such that I can attend to this situation that Krishna has arranged <clears throat> for me. That's appropriate for me to develop. And I'm seeing my life in that way and I'm putting my phone down to go and attend to my children to try to nourish them materially and spiritually. When I'm more in the, the consciousness of just, stimulate my mind, stimulate my intelligence, stimulate my senses, then the intention, th this is much more of, of the option that I, that, I, that I go to because, and I think this is an important point that you're kind of hinting to, Jagannath, this thing, where's, get it in phone, in, in frame, this is a portal to all variety of sensual and mental and emotional stimulation at your fingertips. Mm. And that is... A wonderful thing if you are sensually oriented and if you are hedonistically oriented as an individual or as society. And that is a really scary thing if you have some other competing values, right? Because like Hari Vilas was saying, not only organically just in, again, base reality is the fulfillment of, of um, natural desires often behind many layers of endeavor and of self-sacrifice and of discipline and of taking on responsibility. Mm. But society, Vedic society specifically, is set up in such a way to augment that, to enhance that, right? That simply the idea, for example, of sex within marriage and even within marriage, having some other regulations around sexual intercourse. That is, 
in a sense, at least to look at it in, in one way, that is intentionally set up so that the person who is, who is, uh, who is desiring sex, which is everyone, right? <laughs> that All the way up to Laura Burma, according <laughs> to Third Canto. Everyone. Right. But that in order to obtain that, if society is set up in such a way and the values are correctly oriented, that they will engage in so many things that will benefit themselves and benefit society at, at large and benefit their partner and their future family, etc. Um, by, you know, becoming qualified, ideally going to Gurukul and, and learning all of the necessary arts and being under the tutelage of a guru, then being properly, you know, matched with somebody who has a similar psychophysical nature that's compatible with them, taking on the responsibility of their well-being and protection for their entire life without any exception, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all heavy burdens that develop oneself in such a way that they are able to more uh, straightforwardly and successfully pursue, again, their their material and their spiritual well-being, but also that so that the society that they exist within gets the benefit of that person developing in that way. Mm. And now... There is no need for any of that to get to the end goals of all of the varieties of sensual and mental and emotional stimulation that we organically desire and need. They're all available here. And so what is the impetus for somebody to go through hardship to get what might be, you know, a 2x version of that sensual stimulation if you can get it in real life? I can get a 1x version. Yeah, it's a little bit of a discount, but there's no cost. There's no cost. I don't have to spend any time or or inflict any austerity or discipline upon myself to get to that. And so that's going to win almost every time. Um, and I think that's that's what we're seeing happening. And so speaking to the kind of demoralization mm. of men or of people based upon access to technology, I think when you think about it from the perspective of digital technology and then on top of digital technology, digital media, which I think is an important distinction to draw, that is especially pernicious when you think about there's technology as like manipulating the environment for some kind of end goal may or may not be harmful or helpful depending on what the orientation and the intention is. And there's digital technology. And then on top of digital technology, there's digital media. And I think digital media specifically has this individual and social. What's effect. the difference between digital technology and digital media? So like digital technology is, is something like a computer, right? So mm. like I'm on a computer right now. I use this for work, making spreadsheets or whatever. That is not necessarily um, kind of corrupting my being, right? There, there is some effect to now work being done on a computer instead of within a, the context of a village or outside, you know, dealing with nature, et cetera. That aside, I'm engaging with digital technology for work every day. And that is, I would say, significantly less kind of uh, acutely corrupting to my being than mm. watching Netflix or watching YouTube, which is in the category of digital media. And then, of course, mm. there's worse, worse versions of digital media as well. Wow. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, I want to pick up on something here. This is, and this is getting into the sort of title for this particular podcast but basically just coming back to something harvey last said you know with reality there's this sort of built-in mechanism of effort and struggle and hardship and austerity necessary for achieving goals it's kind of just built into the reality whether you're pious or impious and technology allows you to circumvent that 
issue, even if it is downgraded, as you said, it's a 1x version instead of a 2x version, uh, it allows you to sidestep that. And the reason it's particularly appealing is because it more easily accommodates for our selfish desires. Um, Harvey Velas brought this particular thing up, which I thought was a really fantastic way um, of articulating it. And coming to something you said, Abhai, there's this struggle inside of values, especially if you're a more gentlemanly person, spiritual person, sadhaka, yogi. There's this inner tension of competing values. On the one hand, sometimes I'm really intent upon transcendence. Some days, especially since lockdown's been here, you know, a lot of leaning toward more selfish desires, a kind of sort of self-absorption. I'm suffering. I'm unhappy. I'm alone. And so that which can facilitate that selfish desire becomes all the more appealing. So it, it seems to me, not only in the world in general, but in our own spiritual communities, our devotional communities, which is probably a reflection of the microcosm, that those can, we're having a hard time getting enough W's on the side of our, our highest values, whether they're dharmic or transcendent. And at least I can speak personally, and I, I would like to hear your thoughts on this also. But I guess with the expansion of technology and with the environment becoming, at least apparently become more aggressive, more like imposing, you know, lockdowns and can't move anywhere. And then the, the desire for selfish um, engagement has become more, desire for sensual engagement has become more. And so I find myself retreating into isolation more and more and more, of course, with my bae. Ma, what would I do without you? <laughs> I find myself retreating more into isolation. Now, whether it's in mostly digital media specifically, whether it's you know Instagram or Facebook arguments, which is all the fun. I don't know if you saw my little post yesterday. It's so much fun. Or it's pornography or it's video games. And you can be like living in the house with people, but you're completely alienated from them. So I find that there's, I guess my question is, how are we supposed to successfully navigate this tension specifically as people who have higher purposes, higher values, values in God? How are we supposed to navigate this increasing um, evolution of technology in such a way that we don't lose that in the cesspool of our selfish desires manifested externally as engagement with all this terrible, you know, this technology. Cause I don't, I, it doesn't seem to me that, yeah, it, it seems to me that we could use some insight on how to do that. Now, obviously as children of the technological age, we probably not gonna have the best insight cause we're still at the present moment, at least many of us are kind of victims of that, but having reflected on our victimhood to some degree, how would you suggest we navigate this and, and I don't know, get a couple more W's for the, for the side of um, our highest values, lest we suffer just increasing alienation? Well, I think that firstly, human culture develops to help humanity in one sense deal in the best way with its environment you know so what's happening now is that we should also now develop a culture surrounding technology like say for example mm. there's something like alcohol 
like you know like many families you know especially in the west we've had alcohol for a long time you know like, <laughs> my ancestors they've been dealing with alcohol for many many generations and there's certain rules that they've learned you know like okay you can't drink in the morning that's like culturally not appropriate if you're going to start drinking a beer at 11 o'clock people are going to be like oh that's not you know that's not good because it's a cultural wisdom that's there that's sort of built up dealing with something very dangerous but there's a culture that regulates it and therefore mm. you have millions of people that are recreational drinkers and they're not destroyed even though it's something very dangerous i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying that you can see right, right. culture is to regulate things so now the problem is is that yeah we just haven't had we don't have any culture to regulate this thing and that's what I, that's what's obviously the only way to, to get away from it is impossible i mean you can try your best for a little bit but it's not really, it will, you can run, but you can't hide. You know? <laughs> because even just to make money, who doesn't have to sit in front of a computer to work? Mm. You know, because that's the reality now. It's like a work that you're not sitting in front of a computer. It's just not going to pay anything. You know, so the point is you can't run away from. But therefore, a culture to regulate it by culture to understand. There's certain things like for me, for example, what I do is that I used to. I mean, now it's really difficult since being in New York. But at least I had certain caps to my day. You know, like I had a a nine o'clock flight mode and a 9 a.m. I put it on again. So at least I go my whole, I, I sleep, I have an hour at least before bed. I only put my phone on after breakfast. Like that's a form of culture. You know, by culture, you start to regulate it, which is the actual Vedic principle is that you regulate whatever it is there it has to be regulated. So that's one form of regulation. And naturally the other, the highest form of regulation as a, a virus thing is a functional use of technology that protects you it's not the same. It doesn't degrade the consciousness. It's still bad for your eyes and it's still bad for your back. And that's still there to sit in front of a computer. But your consciousness is not degraded because you do, there's a functional purpose behind what you're doing. You know, you're doing it. You're doing your work. You protect it into consciousness because you, you're not doing it for gratification. So therefore, also, we have to, I think, uh, flesh it out. Like, if we, if we are going to spend a lot of time on the internet or on, on a technological world, then you have to spiritualize that world by taking up spiritual responsibility within that field. That's the only way, because then you will, be, you will use it, but you will be protected. You will be protected because your consciousness is that you're not doing this for your own pleasure, you're doing this for a greater cause. Like, and you see so many people, they need God, there's so much, so much, everything is happening on the whole devotional world is also happening on the digital platform. So you have to do some service on that world. If you're gonna live in that world, then you have to you have to you have to include this functional service engagement and that will actually protect you from it that really protects one from these things like there's this nice um, essay by uh, Rakshak Sridhar Maharaj and he was saying how the um, the Vaishnava mentality is that one has to one takes an offensive stance you know the, the, like instead of just defending right. yourself like setting it back and trying to create a little bubble that will protect you from material influence, you have to go out and you have to engage, you have to engage with it with a spiritual purpose. And that's in mindset then you push back this influence, even though you, you're on that platform itself. And that, that is actually Krishna consciousness. It's Krishna consciousness is that the service mentality, the mentality of service is a thing that will protect you from the corrupting influence. Mm. And that, that counts also on the technological realm. Mm. And uh, one, one has to make that a part. And then you see, you just have to, again, accept that responsibility like for me it's taken me a few years to accept that i cannot run away from this thing i cannot run away from instagram or whatever so this year i capitulated and i made, <laughs> first, made my first instagram post and you know and that's because and, i realized this is the only way i'm going to be able to save myself is if i actively put something positive on the medium 
and then at least someone is protected from just becoming a consumer. But mm. um, in general, I, one other thing I have to say is that uh, you were making the point that people are getting isolated. And actual, in the actual fact, people are not at all isolated. Mm. Uh, people are just isolated maybe from real world, but very few people are now able to actually be alone. Because whenever they're so-called alone, the time, so generally like being alone, we see even Krishna gives it as one of the principles of yoga, you know, to be in a solitary place, ekaki at the chitatma. So there's something with solitude that allows you to get a distance from the world and allows you to process whatever you have experienced. Like when you're alone, from every, everyone needs solitude, real solitude, where it's just you and your internal world and you're thinking and reflecting and, and it allows you to fall. Just like if you eat at a certain point, you have to stop eating and you have to stop eating and you just have to sit to digest. You have to do nothing. Yeah? So similarly, I think that's one of the biggest things that people have to start implementing into their life. It's real periods of genuine isolation where you really just where you where you where you really put your phone down and you really just are alone. Because that's what making that's what making people so mad is because they never have a break. My God, your brain is never given any kind of break because our recreational experience is now also on the internet, and it is a false it is a false recreation. Because um, if you look at even Bhagavad Gita 6 chapter explain how the yogi is balanced in work, in eating, sleeping, work and recreation. So recreation is a pivotal Vihara. part of, of culture. Vihara, yeah, yeah. So Vihara means you do something that recreates you, that regenerates you. And I promise you, there's not a single form of positive recreation on the technological medium. Because the medium in itself is stimulating. You've, the medium itself is based on stimulating something within your consciousness. It plugs. So even if you look at freaking a video of the waves, if you go on YouTube, pick it off, you know, the sea, it's not stimulating. It, has, it feels sort of stimulating, but a part of your basic biological being is not stimulated because you're still glued to some screen and you're still like, you know, looking at light. So there's a form of, of recreation. We have to, I think that's the most important part of the, at least for, for, the, for the spiritualist, do your work, work with technology as much as you can. It's not a problem. But find your recreation somewhere else. Find your recreation in the natural world. Like find, your, find some recreational pursuits that allow you to plug out because there you will really be able to recreate, relax, have your mind not be uh, constantly offering information. And uh, so this is, all, this is the only way out. It's, and this all relates to the initial point that I made. It's about creating a new culture. So mm. as we, and, right. and in one sense, for many of us, teaching that culture to your children, you know, like your children have the opportunity now to get raised by with certain parameters in place. You teach them from a young age, listen, this is how you use a cell phone. And then they, they create these new samskaras. They know you don't use a cell phone after night. You don't use you don't use a cell phone before breakfast. It just becomes ingrained into them. Just like so many other things have been ingrained onto them. And it's a form of social capital that we can then give to the next civilization. Just like we've learned how to deal with sex, smoking, drugs, so many impressions that we have gotten from our parents. And it has been very valuable. And now um, we take we took the first hit because we were just thrown into this thing without any kind of preparation. Our parents didn't know they didn't know how to use this stuff. But now slowly we will have to um, you know, create some kind of culture that allows us to deal with it in a more responsible way until it all collapses and we can go back to a more natural way. <laughs> just uh, I wanted to share this. I often share this quote. This is from Blaise Pascal. All men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. Without a phone. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> without a phone, <laughs> <Important>. right? <laughs> Important add-on. Um, I what I, I guess what I mean by alienation, also just to expand that just quickly, is that yeah, technology creates a sort of artificial connectedness, while sim was also simultaneously making us more and more alienated from one another, mm -hmm. and even from our own mm -hmm. selves, because as you engage in a virtual world, you're not dealing with your real life. And ultimately the impetus to engage in a virtual world is because your real life has got some pain, some aspect of it that you want to not have to deal with. It's kind of connected to the desire for transcending the self that you don't like. And technology really facilitates that. And in that sense, it makes us more and more alienated from each other, from our own lives, and just kind of a step further from God. You know, you're because you're so engaged in a a fake world that the real world, even beyond the the biological world, that Hippocrates, you know, reality, the beautiful Krishna, and this divine transcendent world. But you're too sucked into this world and alienated from all of that because of it. So that's kind of the the sense. It's very interesting because on the one hand, you you become solitude, so you can become more connected, and in oh. the reverse is happening in the modern world where you're apparently more connected through technology and you become more alienated. It's like very, you know, what's the verse? Yanisha Sarabhutanam. What is night for common man is time of awakening for the self-control. And the time of awakening for the self-control is night for the introspective sage. So it's yeah. kind of interesting how this dichotomy comes up. By yeah. solitude, you can become more connected. And by too much engagement with technology, you become more alienated. And I guess that was the sense I meant by alienation there. Yeah, you can definitely see um. it there. In uh, living in a temple or in a <laughs> community, yeah, it's a fact because now it's like people don't form relationships anymore in the in the temple environment because everybody's on their phone. They have their social life on their phone. Less time, time to really keep on the phone. <laughs> like right, time for that stuff. You know, sit with them and take breakfast. My God, what a slap! You know, you just go <laughs> eat. So it's it's fundamentally also altered um, communal uh, spiritual experience. Even I I I don't know if. It, if I've ever been to a rainbow, like a rainbow festival. Of course, I've been to several. So then I remember I went to a rainbow in Poland and one guy was telling me, yeah, oh, the rainbow, it's ruined because people bring their phones, you know, in the mm. past. Everybody went there. You were really, you were you were forced to be present with the people that were there at that place. You were forced to participate because there was nothing else to do, you know. Mm. But now, for example, why would you even go to a Bhagavatam class? God, there's so many, there's so many Bhagavatam classes, so many way better Bhagavatam classes I can watch on my phone, you know? Why would I go sit here and listen to, you know, I can listen to the best people in the world. I mean, even though I don't, but <laughs> we see that, that there's a certain sense of presence that is mm. ruined. So people are not actually present. But what is interesting is, if you think about it karmically, the people that you are with, these are the people that Krishna has said. This is the people that has faith has allotted to you. This is the people. These are the people that will purify you. That's the, that's traditional way of seeing it. Is that whoever is with me, these are the people that are now sent by God for better or worse. These are the people that will that will purify me. These are the people that will give me shelter. And if I invest in creating a relationship with, with whoever is present in my specific environment, as if they are sent by God, then that relationship has depth. But now it's very difficult to have that consciousness. It's because, you know, and even what's interesting is that if you would, um, you know, how much easier it is to have digital relationships with people because you never, you never conflict, you know, because the moment that it's awkward, you're just like, okay, I have to go, poop, you know. <laughs> so, so it's, 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 you can see how, again, it's, it's, it's this thing of 
alienation and excess comfort and people are not confronted. It's very difficult yes. to be confronted with uncomfortable realities or with uh, growing experiences in a technologically modeled world because the whole principle of technology is to customize your experience according to your personal preference. Mm. Yeah? And that is just not what the world is actually about. You know, the world is the world as God created it is not really that's not what it's meant for. Mm. Abai. Yeah. Karuna, I got anything on I, that. I yes, just Karuna. I just have one one quick insert to make here. Firstly, I just want to acknowledge uh, the the comments of, of some wonderful um, listeners. Uh, Mara Lee Murgakshi said uh, we have to we have free will to use or abuse God's energy, but are not free from the resultant reactions. So, um, yeah, and that's, that's the hectic thing is that we just, you know, most of the time it's instant gratification, but delayed, um, you know, delayed consequence. Yeah. Yeah. Destruction. And then David Madhava says, for the most part, uh, tech hasn't changed who we are only magnified it and shown the sorry condition of our actual hopes and dreams in the meantime. <laughs> Thank you, Dave Monover. I feel very inspired by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy. But it has to be said. Um, mm. I just, I just, I, I have an answer to this that I can, that I can summarize in please, one sentence, please. and and that is to to intentionally, actually forcefully, willfully uh, cultivate loving relationships in real life so that we will be naturally inspired to make sacrifices. Mm. I honestly think that's the only solution. Um, for myself, at least, that's how I see it. And <laughs> whether those loving relationships come in the form of uh, a family, which is which is the most natural framework for it, or you know, in a brotherhood of co-monks or you know, temple residents or whatever it may be, but those real life loving relationships are the only things because that's the thing, you know. In love, we are capable of making infinite sacrifices and shoving aside our selfishness. And I, I honestly, I honestly just don't see any other way personally that I'm going to be able to do it, you know, mm. and, um, you know, I'm sure Abai is the only one amongst us who, who's already married. And, and I'm sure that this is something that he experiences on a day to day basis, because you, you put yourself in that situation. You are a family man with many children and a wife that I'm sure that you love very much. And therefore, there is just no choice but to put aside your selfishness. Um, so the willful acceptance of that and the cultivation of those loving relationships of the essence. Beautiful comment. So we got from Harvey last we need a culture. And as a first generation dealing with this, we have to kind of develop that so we can hand it on to the next generation. They can do a little bit better than us with it. And the intentional, willful cultivation of loving relationships from Karuna Avatar, they give the motivation to make the necessary sacrifice to put aside selfishness and enter into reality. Very brilliant comment. Well, boy. I, I, I would just um, 
can I bold underline and italicize? <laughs> that's, that's what I usually do. <laughs> that's what I feel like doing at the moment. I, I, I would say just the, just the beautiful synthesis of those two points of the, the, the fundamental protecting element that we can actually pursue outside of isolation or, or a complete uh, removal of, of ourself from these potentially harmful, you know, stimulations externally in the form of tech and digital tech and digital media is to cultivate a, uh, is, is to cultivate devotionalism as our kind of uh, primary framework for life and our primary method of interacting with the environment. I think in that, mm. if, if that is cultivated, then our use of technology will be proper. Our engagement with the world will be proper because we should acknowledge here, removing technology doesn't remove the problem uh, mm. of, of unsuccessful or unfulfilling or destructive behavior and destructive societies or destructive existence. Um, technology may have amplified or magnified that in some ways or accelerated that in some ways, but just getting rid of technology doesn't mean we're in some kind of blissful existence. After all, we are in the, <laughs> the realm of death here. Um, so, you know, just removing technology doesn't, doesn't remove the problem. It may remove some of the uh, stimulations that make the problem more apparent or more magnified or amplified as Dave Amato was saying in the comments. Um, so, so therefore, the removal of technology or changing our relationship with technology specifically is not a comprehensive solution. The, the comprehensive solution is changing our underlying approach to life and the way in which we view ourselves and people in our life and the environment more broadly. Changing from, a, from an inclination and, a, and an approach of exploitation, which is how can I use the environment and all of its constituents to serve my short-term false ego-based needs to a devotionalistic approach, which is how can I utilize the environment and all of its constituent components, including myself and all of the faculties that I possess in the service of the complete whole, right? In the service of, of uh, absolute reality in the form of Krishna, in the form of God, in the form of his devotees and in, and in his parts and parcels and in the form of, of my relationship with his Shakti, the, the material world. And so as, as much um, as that is, is potentially a lofty goal and certainly one that we're all pursuing over time, that is the fundamental solution. And I, also say, I would also say that practically speaking, it is a very, it is a very um, how do you say? It's not as unavailable as it may sound of changing our fundamental you know, approach to existence. If we accept our philosophy, we actually believe that that is the natural orientation of the soul. Just like water in a river flows towards the ocean or fire goes up towards the source, the sun. We believe that the soul is naturally inclined towards service, towards the absolute reality. And just for myself, giving some examples, I. I ask myself this question often. It's like, what is my approach? What, what am I thinking? Or how can I be of service in this situation mm. um, to myself, to my family, to my coworkers, to my friends and, and, and all of the relationships? How can I be of service? Um, 
And that, that question, really following that question, I think, for me at least, has led to better and better decisions around the use of technology specifically, but also just in life in general. Um, and, or, or is the action that I'm engaged in right now, is that of service and of benefit to myself and my family and my community and everybody that is in touch with me? That is a very helpful kind of question check that can in real time kind of change our behavior and our decisions. <clears throat> wow. Wow. Uh, them cherries. <laughs> I like to. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna finish up here. I guess if I had any, just based on what I'm hearing from you guys, I'm kind of understanding more and more that one of the fundamental human desires is the desire for self transcendence. And what I what I mean by that is that basically everyone since the dawn of time, all humans have had an experience where there's something about their, themselves, their self as they view it, that is dissatisfying. And that leads to the desire for wanting to leave that self behind. Or you can call it a self-transcendence. I was reading this recently also. And there's like a, there's like a positive self-transcendence and like a negative type. And then I think the negative types are more prominent where you take shelter of drugs, because drugs gives you a sense of a greater self that's more interconnected, um, especially if you do like psychedelics. And so I never had the experience, but from what I've heard, um, you, there's this greater sense of like interconnected, a sort of union with a greater self beyond just the isolated self. Or debauchery is a really kind of type of self-transcendence, a negative type where you kind of there's union with another person and at, at a certain point you can just forget about yourself. And I think technology is, as it's being, especially digital media, is facilitating this desire for self-transcendence, but it's kind of going in a negative way. There's something about myself that I don't like or I don't want to deal with, something about my life. And so I can just enter into this other world where I can make a better self for myself, whether it's my avatar or it's a video game character um, or it's like a movie character or some sports athlete. I don't have to deal with myself. I can enjoy vicariously through another self. And so unless we discover a sort of, I don't know what's the word, like, like a regenerated self, like at least for our devotional consciousness, unless we discover an, the ideal self or and ultimately the ideal self is a self that's created to the, the greater self that is God, and it's inherently self-satisfying and pleasing. Only by such positive self-transcendence can I really have a healthy orientation toward whatever I engage with in the world, which is what I'm hearing from Abide. Um, so, yeah, otherwise just a desire to escape the, I like to use this word, innervated self. Like the self, like I know the self that I am now is not always the most satisfying. Not always, most of the time. I like wake up like, I wake up feeling existential dread. Like, why do I exist? And I especially, that happens to me when I take a nap. I don't know if you, you take a nap, you meant to do like five minutes, but you accidentally did like an hour and a half. <laughs> and you like wake up and you're just like, why do I even exist? You know, and th there's something just like radically dissatisfying about the self that I am. And so then I want to take shelter of, you know, digital media or whatever it is. So definitely at the heart, it's a discovery of a greater self that's more broad, that's more interconnected. 
um, with the, a greater reality. And I think the idea of the devotionalism, using your term, helps us to see that greater reality, like that interaction with that greater reality with the vision of devotion um, can help us have a sense of self that's more inherently satisfying and can lead to our, a, a healthier engagement with, you know, the world around us, including the technology in it. That's kind of what I'm getting from all you with, you know, combined with the culture and the loving relationships. Um, yeah. I want to thank you have something on Karuna Avatar. Or you just, well, I, I just want to, I would just, yeah, yeah. I just, I just want to point out what, what Jiva is saying here. Yeah. And, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to open up a whole new can of worms, but it, it should be, it should be acknowledged. So, he says, so I've made this argument before, and it's mainly based on my own experience. My brain's communication matrix and pleasure chemical cycles have been 100% merged with technology. To remove technology from my daily life is to throw me into an extremely uncomfortable condition where I actually experience physical symptoms of distress. Even my so-called relaxing walks in the forest would be tainted with my chill-out playlist on YouTube. So <laughs> to go back to the good old days where more natural phenomena prevail seems to be impossible. This is my personal experience, but I believe it's relevant to society as a whole. Do you think otherwise? No, it's like a, it's like a, I guess I've not had this experience, but withdrawal from some drug or something. I, I have seen that with my, with my mother. She was a heavy smoker from a young age. And I remember when she was trying to stop smoking when I was in high school, and she would go through these terrible withdrawals that I just really couldn't relate to because I'd never had the experience of smoking. But she mm. would describe it as something similar to what we hear from Jiva. So such is the Jiva, going to you be may, challenge. Yeah, you may have to like do some self-imposed cold turkey uh, <laughs> just to just to kind of like show yourself that it that it is possible. The temporary, you know, because we, we cannot we cannot say, oh, it's inevitable. And so I am, I am, I I have no other choice but to be enslaved, completely enslaved and subject to to these conditionings. Uh, there there has to be a certain acceptance of like I feel personal responsibility and 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 acknowledging that you are fundamentally aloof from it. It's just about what really motivates you on the deepest level and what you really want on the deepest level. Um, and if you have relationships to sacrifice for, then that's all the impetus we require. That's what I feel. You can read Pranahari has one comment similar. Yeah, yeah, world. that's a that's a really good similar. one. And yeah. Rob, I just also want to say what Rob said uh, to change oh, yeah. the inner dialogue from what's in it for me to how I can serve is to enter the domain of the soul. I really, really like that. Absolutely. That's what it comes down to. And Pranahari says, uh, loving relationships as the main impetus for continuous selfless sacrifices is bhakti philosophy in a nutshell and how necessary it is to cultivate these amongst each other as preceding the awakening of the relationship with Krishna has yet to be discovered by many, I think, definitely for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's going to be the work of our generation. I feel like every generation has some important work, you can say, that kind of marks that generation out specifically. Like if you look at our movement, 
you know, the first generation of devotees, Hare Krishna devotees, their work is like very specific. And then from our generation, it's going to be another different specific sort of work. And this may be part of that work. At least I get a sense that this is going to be very much part of that work. If the next generation is going to do any better than we are. Thank you all for coming on. This was a very um, wonderful conversation as usual. I'm always humbled before Harvey Lass and Abai Prabhu. I like to say also, Abai is one of the only relationships that I developed on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a positive experience with technology. Um, I was doing a 100-day challenge on Instagram two years ago. And Abai kind of just reached out to me and said, you know, I really like what you do. Can we connect? And I was like, yeah, sure. And the from the first day that we talked, like, online i got became super attached to him like on the first day just hearing how he thinks and i just felt very similar and then seeing him for the first time i think was last year in november at the holy name festival and uh and then i became more attached so i do have positive experience of relationship building through technology a couple others harvey last i met in person in bhakti center and we became very close there so but generally, yeah. technology can be problematic if we don't discover the culture, the devotionalism, the, the mm. this positive self, the integrated or mm. positive self. So thank you all so much for coming on and continuing to this initiative. It's been very wonderful. A special thanks to Bishma Dave helping in the background with the questions. In uh, the blurbs, they're all coming from Bishma. Special thanks to him. Um, you can give us a follow on Satsang, S-S-A-T-S.S.A.T, Sangha on Instagram. And if you're interested in any of our men's Sanghas, you can send a DM to that Instagram and we'll definitely respond. Just by this podcast that we're doing is having a lot of positive effect. I'm getting at least three or four letters every week from guys all over the world um asking entry into the group asking sharing their personal stories so this is um very positive use of technology um going back to i think harry blaster you were saying this we have to address it by going on the offensive and using technology on the offensive so this particular endeavor is having showing some positive fruit so special thanks there um, special thanks to Bodica for hosting us and please give Bodica a follow on Facebook and Instagram and maybe there's some other social media outlets I'm not sure and check out the many devotional creators putting out wonderful work there until our next episode next week Haryam Tatsat thanks a lot Hey Krishna Hare Rama Hare Hare. stay on